Thanks, Mark. Our scripture reading this morning is coming to us from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at practical, uh, the, the practical implications or the practical application of Paul's words in Ephesians 5, verse 1, that we should follow God's example. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at what that looks like in terms of the relationship of uh, husband and wife. Last week, we looked at how that looks in terms of power between a master and a slave, between uh, parents and children, and how we apply that to our world and our lives today. And then this morning, uh, I think many of us will be tempted to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, as if they're something else entirely. Now Paul's moving on and talking about, uh, talking about the armor of God, this whole new different thing. Um, but actually, I think what Paul is giving us is one more example, uh, before next week he, we conclude his letter, one more example of the practical application of what it means for all of us to follow God's example. And so uh, it starts by connecting with uh, the, the power that we talked about last week, but then continues on to what it means for us to, as individuals and as a community, be engaged in uh, a life of the Spirit and in spiritual warfare. So please read along with me, follow along uh, in your Bibles or on the screen, and we'll read together chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against people, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak words, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel." for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it, declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to continue, as I said this morning, with Ephesians. This is us in Christ. What does it mean for us to be in Christ? And as we look at spiritual warfare this morning, I probably only need to say that word then most of us probably have one of two reactions. C.S. Lewis talks about our normal kinds of reactions in his introduction to uh, the screw tape letters. 
uh, imaginary book about letters written from a junior demon to his uncle, a senior demon. In, the, in his introduction to that book, C.S. Lewis says, uh, yeah, people, the general public, have one of two reactions. Either they pretend that demons don't exist, that this spiritual warfare isn't real. And so we do things like draw little cartoons of, of devils or demons with hooves and horns, and we, we dismiss it and say, well, it's, it's only children and, and sort of fairy tales. It's, it's, or, or devils and demons belong to the realms of children's stories and fairy tales. The alternative is that some people seem to take a very unhealthy interest in spiritual warfare. Everything becomes about spiritual warfare, and around every corner there's another demon or another devil, and, and uh, people become just helpless, or uh, people without, without free will, we just become, become pawns in a pretend, or, or not in a pretend, but in a real unseen spiritual war. I think both C.S. Lewis and, more importantly, the Apostle Paul would want us to take a different approach when it comes to spiritual warfare and when it comes to uh, putting on the armor of God as we prepare for spiritual warfare. And that different approach, I hope, is one where we take seriously what's going on in in the spiritual realm but also where we recognize that we have a responsibility, that we are called, as Paul calls us here in the Holy Spirit speaking through him, to prepare ourselves, to be focused and prepared for the daily, the monthly, the the yearly battles that we find ourselves in. So what is this picture of the armor of God or the battles that we're preparing ourselves for? Well, first, uh, the picture of the armor of God that we see here in Ephesians 6 is a picture of a spiritual battle. And as a spiritual battle, it's, it, it calls for and necessitates spiritual unity. I've heard too many sermons preached on this passage that, first of all, focus on, on the, the armor itself and, and what does it mean that, uh, to have righteousness as a belt or, or what does it mean to have truth, truth as a belt, excuse me, or, or righteousness as a breastplate. But also, too often we interpret this text as an individual kind of exercise, that God is calling me personally to do all of these things myself. But if we're talking about battle then we need to be talking about unity. Because if there's anything that Paul's original audience would have heard, one of the first things they would have understood is that anybody who goes into battle by themselves is doomed to fail. That preparation for battle is not an individual exercise, it's a communal exercise. And so what is it that, what, what role is it that Paul is calling us to play. If it's a communal role, we're preparing for spiritual battle. What is our role? I think very simply, if you look at the armor as a whole, Paul is calling us to be foot soldiers. Paul is asking us and and challenging us, calling us to prepare as individuals and as a community for the hand-to-hand combat 
The, the daily, the month, weekly, monthly ins and outs of spiritual battle, spiritual warfare on the ground. And that's, again, worth saying because I think many of our defaults, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just me, but I think our defaults are to want to be generals. We want to sort of stand back. And that's what we end up doing when we stand back. We trip all over ourselves. But we want to just stand back and we want to sort of survey the field, as it were, impartially and talk about what the right strategy would be, what, how to have all the answers and all the plans and everything together. So often that's our, our, that's our, that's our game plan or our battle plan when it comes to spiritual warfare. And whether, whether we're thinking about the, the challenges that are ahead, like, like politics and the election coming up, if we're thinking about COVID and the ongoing pain and suffering of other people, and for many of us, the ongoing, um, just, just the, the bother, the hassle. Or if we're thinking about the battles and the challenges that each of us are facing on an individual level. So often, our, our temptation is to step back and to want to make a big plan to be generals and then, and then say, well, if only others would do A, B, and C and, and the other, some other troops would go over here, then everything would work out. But that's not what God is calling us to do. It's, that, it's, not, it's not that we can't make plans as God's people or, or that we ought not to be thoughtful, but, but Paul's emphasis here is that when we engage with spiritual warfare, we engage personally and we engage communally. And so there's not only that great need for unity, but also the expectation that each of us and all of us will be personally involved in the warfare and in the battle that is ongoing. So are we prepared? Recognizing that even the best, uh, I, think it's, I think it's Lao Tzu who said, the, the best laid plans don't survive the first contact with the enemy. So are we prepared? Not do we have the best plans, but is our focus on the right things? Are we prepared to do our part? Am I prepared to do my part? Or do we just default to talking again about strategy and never get to implementation? As I mentioned earlier, I've heard too many sermons that talk about this text and and try and look at each piece of armor and emphasize a different thing about each one. And at, at best, I think that's probably a, a, just another sermon in there that someone else could do. But I think the danger for me in that is that you end up missing the forest for the trees. Rather than saying, well, well what about truth is belt-like? Or, or how is uh, salvation a helmet that we wear? Rather than doing that, I want to just consider all of these not, not even the pieces of armor, but, but the, the reference. I want to consider all of them together. Paul says that if we want to be prepared, and if we want to have our focus in the right place, then we need to be clothed or armed, protected by truth, by righteousness, by peace, by faith, and with salvation. Those are the things that we should have on and about us. And all of those Paul pictures as part of the defense that we have against Satan 
and his evil forces, right? Whether it's, whether it's a belt or a breastplate or a helmet or a shield, all of those are about keeping us safe, keeping us alive, protecting us against the enemy. Not protecting us against some other people or other person or, or other agenda or goal, but keeping us safe against the devil and his schemes. We only, in this battle, Paul says, we only really have one offensive weapon. That's the sword of the Spirit. And, and uh, the translation I read, the, the ESV as well, says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But I think a better translation would be the sword, who is the Spirit, who is the Word of God. And I want us to, to understand that Paul is saying if we want to be prepared for spiritual warfare, we don't, he's not talking about carrying around the word of God the way that we would talk about the Bible. Paul's saying to prepare for spiritual warfare, we need to be armed with the Holy Spirit who is the word of God. We need to be people who are led by the Spirit, the Spirit who intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit who testifies to our hearts that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit who, uh, in, in another passage, Paul says, is, is the sword that cuts between bone and marrow. That reminds us of who we are in Christ and of the parts of us that are broken and sinful. Our only offensive weapon in this battle, Paul says, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who speaks God's word to our hearts. And I want to just pause or, or, or take a little rabbit trail here for a moment and, and remind us of one of the things that Paul's not saying. Paul mentions truth as an important part of the, the armor that we have as God's people. But truth is not an offensive weapon. And I think that's really important for us to understand, especially when, when we come to the debates, when we come to the battles, when we come to the challenges that we see as Christians, especially that we see as people at New Life Church in our world today. So often we want to weaponize truth and use it as, as, a, as a sword or, or as, a, as a, probably like a sledgehammer more than a sword and beat other people down with the truth. But that's not the picture of what truth is for that Paul gives us as we prepare for battle. First of all, truth, as I said, isn't an offensive weapon. It's not something that we use for hitting other people over the head with and establishing ourselves. I'm right, you're wrong. That's not a winning strategy, Paul says. And again, we're not saying that there's no, I'm not saying there's no room or no place for truth. Truth is very important. But it's not an offensive weapon. It's something that we clothe ourselves with. It's a, it's a belt. It holds our bellies in, right? But it holds us together as God's people as well. The other danger, and then we'll get back to the main point here, of using truth as an offensive weapon is that we end up fighting in and amongst ourselves which goes back to that main point and our need for unity. 
that whenever we are battling amongst ourselves of this is true, no, that's true, no, that's fake news, no, this is fake news, the more we battle against ourselves, the more we open ourselves up to the real battle or, or to attack from the real battle and from our real enemy. Remember, this is in the context of Paul saying our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against all the powers and authorities of darkness, the prince of darkness in this world. And so again, as we read this passage and consider the implications of it, we need to consider the, our desperate need as Christians for unity in the first century, sure, but also today in our own lives. And how do we, how do we use truth and righteousness and peace? How do we employ faith as a, as a shield and, and salvation as a, as a helmet? Not just to protect me, but if you know anything about how the Roman army was set up, to use, when you use a shield, you're using it to protect some of you and some of the person standing next to you. So how do we use these things, these gifts that God has given us, truth and righteousness, peace and faith and salvation, to protect ourselves as a community? And how do we use the sword of the Spirit to cut through the problems, the brokenness, the lies of our world, and and to lead us in the offense that God's calling us to, to help us follow the general not, not me, my plans, but, but God. When we are united in battle, or, or let me put it the other way first. When we, are dis, when we have disunity, we end up scattered and, and in grave danger when it comes to spiritual battle. As I mentioned, first century hearers would have understood that if you're preparing for battle, you're preparing for something as a community. That Roman legions, the greatest army in the first century world, were not known for being the most powerful or even for having the greatest tactics. Although they did have great power and great tactics. The Roman legions were known for fighting as a team. That's the way in which Rome overtook the world. Their, their, uh, their tortoises, their legions, their, their battle formations were impenetrable. And so they just kept moving because each soldier had responsibility not just for himself to go out and, and kill a bunch of people, but for the group. The first hearers of this passage would have understood that if you're going out to battle by yourself, you might be the best fighter in the world, but it's a, winning, it's a losing strategy. Because you'll end up in the middle of the battlefield, sword swinging, all alone. And the enemy will come at you from all sides. Likewise, if we don't care for one another, then we simply allow the enemy to start picking people off few on the side over here, a few on the edge over there, and, and slowly but surely, we might have a little bit of unity, but the, the team, the group is smaller. When we stand apart, we're doomed to fail. But what about when we stand together? What about when we are united in the battle, when we're united in the work that God has for us, in the mission that God has for us? Well, when we're united, then nothing can stand against us then we are sure to be victorious. 
And before, you, before we go into that for just a moment, remember that this isn't about winning arguments or even about winning converts. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says. So when I say that we're sure to be victorious when we stand together, I'm not saying we're going to win every battle. I'm not saying the church is going to double and triple and quadruple in size in, in a few weeks. When we stand together, we stand impenetrable, indivisible against Satan and his evil forces. Why? Because Satan is very, Scripture is very clear. Satan comes to deceive, he comes to destroy, he comes to divide God's people. And so our best battle stance against Satan is to stand together, to look, as, as Paul says, to look to God for truth, to share in our preparation and in our focus on Jesus. When we stand together, prepared with truth, with righteousness, with peace and faith and salvation, and when we are led by the Spirit, then we are indivisible. We cannot be conquered. And so today, we face any number of different challenges than the Ephesians did who first heard this. They were perhaps facing very real uh, external physical threats, the, the, the loss of their lives by the sword or, or uh, persecution in a very real physical way. We face very different threats today. But in many ways, I think our challenge remains the same. Whether we see the, just to name a few again, whether we see the upcoming election as a, as a time or a, a source of fear for us as Christians. Maybe we see the ongoing pandemic as the longer this goes on, the more in danger the church is or the gospel is. Maybe there are other things in your own personal life that feel like threats. What is God calling you to do? Not what is God calling you to think or what is God calling you to hope that other people will do? But what is God calling you to do? And what is he calling us to do together? Paul asks us to do in this passage what Jesus has already done for us. He asks us to prepare, to focus, not on, all, not on other people, not battling all the other battles of our world, but to keep our eyes on God and to understand the spiritual battles that are going on around us. He asked us to do what what Jesus has already done for us, and this comes from uh, from a passage we already read, a good chunk of it this morning, from John 17. Jesus had this beautiful way, this perfect way, of connecting his disciples to the work that his Father was doing. And not just connecting them as individuals, but connecting them as a, as a community, as a group. And so he, he, as we already read, I'm going to reread some of it. He, he prays, sanctify my disciples, sanctify my people by your truth. Your word is truth. Make them holy. That's what the word sanctify means. Set them apart for that special work. As you've sent me into the world, Father, I've sent them into the world. For them, 
I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified and truly holy. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will also believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in them. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, Jesus says, when we are united as God's people, then the world will know that you have sent me, that you have loved them even as I have loved you. As we close, Wonder with me again in prayer what God is calling you to do as an individual to seek the unity of God's people and to stand together with our church and with the larger church as we face our real battle, not against each other, not against flesh and blood and others in our world, but against Satan and his evil forces. Let's pray. Father God, we join Jesus in his prayer, knowing that that's always a wise and safe thing to do. We so often ask for things that we have no right asking for. We set out on battles that we don't need to fight. But Jesus following, or or Father God, following Jesus' example, we do pray this morning that you would bring us unity. Bring us unity as your people here at New Life Church. Bring unity to your church in the United States. Not around particular political issues or socioeconomic issues, but unity in Christ, in the head, and the one who gives all of us and each of us our marching orders. And Father, we ask that as we set aside our own plans and our own agendas, And as we prepare ourselves for the battles that you are leading us into and for the enemies that you are calling us to fight, Father, we ask that you would give us peace, that you give us joy, and that you'd bring us together. And Lord, in that, we trust that there will be a great witness to our world, that they will see Christ in us, and through us. And they will respond with joy. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, please stand with us.